Welcome back. We're on a hunt for the real unicorns, the companies which are impacting a billion people positively. We profile some of the world's biggest impact investors and the visionary founders that are making a difference in our world. Listeners will have the option to vote or invest in their favorite ventures and get behind their missions as we share the struggles, the passions, and the challenges they overcome. Join Cassandra for this episode as she explores Energy X, a growth stage pre-IPO energy technology company with a mission to clean up lithium extraction. Energy X is tackling the controversial issues around lithium being used to power our batteries and most importantly, our electric vehicles, using revolutionary technology to make sure the shift to renewables is truly sustainable. So I'm with Teague Egan today. Hey, Teague, how are you? Great to have you on the show. Thank you so much for your time. Good, how are you? Yeah, I'm really, really good. So where are you dialing in from today? Are you in Puerto Rico? I can't keep track anymore. <laughs> today, I am indeed in Puerto Rico, but it's not that nice outside right now. Well, London is starting to get quite sunny, so... Summer is definitely on its way. Yeah. So I guess I just wanted to say welcome. Just an opportunity for some of our listeners to get to know you, some of the amazing things you've been doing in your company, and just to understand a little bit about your journey so far. So I guess it probably makes sense for us to just start with the basics. Maybe give us the elevator pitch of Energy X. Yeah, absolutely. And I appreciate you having me on the podcast. No problem. So Energy X, at a really high level, our mission is to make lithium and energy storage more efficient and more affordable for general use in the energy transition. Lithium, for those who don't know, is the key component in batteries, in rechargeable batteries that power your phone, power electric vehicles. And it's the key raw material that goes into the battery. So producing battery materials and the metals, such as lithium, is a very important factor and element when you think about transitioning to a renewable energy future. So EnergyX focuses on the efficient and cost-effective production of lithium. Got it. So obviously, the show is all about a hunt for the companies that are changing the world with their business models. Obviously, there's a very big sustainability play when it comes to your business. Do you want to talk a little bit about that and tell us how this is making a change in our world today? Yeah, I mean, we're very fortunate at EnergyX to have tremendous tailwinds behind us. I mean, like you said, you know, there, there's a huge movement towards sustainability renewable energy being part of that, kind of the overarching theme, I think, is around climate change and things that we can do as a society to combat that. So EnergyX, like I told you, kind of what our mission is and, and the small niche that we're trying to improve. But you know, ultimately, what we're working on is certainly kind of like a sustainable development goal. And I think that we're in a very interesting time where I like to relate it to the boom in computer chips. Computer chips and computers over the last 30 or so years saw a tremendous investment. And if you think about where computers started to where they are today, 
think about Moore's Law and how they kept doubling every year or so in size and capacity and speed. I see that happening for energy storage. Batteries are really the next big frontier. You know, batteries started off powering our consumer electronics. Now we're moving towards bigger uses of battery or, or larger applications such as electric vehicles. But ultimately, batteries could power our homes. I mean, some, some already do, right? There's small use cases such as the Tesla Powerwall and things like that. But batteries can power our homes. They can power entire cities. It's obviously a much more sustainable way to power our civilization and infrastructure with energy storage and, and reusable, rechargeable batteries than having to burn fossil fuels or you know liquid natural gas every time that you want to turn on a light. Got it. So how does the lithium extraction process actually work? How are you optimizing that process with your technology? Yeah, it's a great question. So, you know, a lot of this stuff I think is really behind the curtains. You know, like not a lot of people think about all the way up the supply chain to the natural resources that are excavated from the earth. I mean, everything that you like look around at, the house you're sitting in, the desk you're at right now, the computer that you're on, it all comes from the earth, right? And you know, lithium obviously is a important natural resource moving forward. And the thing about lithium is that we haven't really needed so much of it until now. Like I said, the biggest use for rechargeable batteries and therefore lithium for the most part, well, consumer electronics was the biggest use, right? But it takes 10,000 iPhones to make one car battery. So if you're thinking about to make a million electric vehicles, which in the overall scheme of things isn't even really that much, we produce 90 million cars a year globally. So to produce 1 million electric vehicles, that's 10 billion iPhones. So the reason I'm telling you this is because all of a sudden, like within the past handful of years, like maybe 10 years, we needed a tremendous amount more lithium than we had anticipated. So the manufacturing methods of producing lithium haven't quite caught up. I mean, this is really large infrastructure that goes into you know, mining. And so the two ways that lithium are produced today is your traditional hard rock mining, which I'm sure that a lot of your listeners and you have seen like what a you know big open pit looks like that they are excavating hard rock and they have systems and processes where they you know, leach the metals out like these big copper mines and huge dump trucks and tractors and backhoes. And so that's, that's one way. And that's obviously pretty detrimental to <laughs> the environment, quite scarring. The other way is, so lithium is the salt species and it's found in salt brine. So when people think about like seawater, for instance, it's obviously salty. It's not that salty. It's about 3% salinity. But the salts that are in seawater are similar salts that are found in much saltier, what are called salt brines. So like the Dead Sea, for instance, is north of 30% salinity. So you have 70% water, like pure H2O, and then you have 30% salt. 
And that salt is made up of a number of different salts. It's not all just table salt, which is NaCl, sodium chloride. There's magnesium in that salt composition. There's lithium in the salt composition. There's calcium, potassium, sulfate, a large list of these different elements that are found on the periodic table, right? Chloride. And the process is to extract the lithium from this soup of salts, if you will, right? Because it's mixed in. It's all, it's all saturated and mixed in. And the way that they do that right now is through these huge evaporation ponds. So they pump the salt brine from the subsurface reservoir. They put it in these huge evaporation ponds and natural evaporation evaporates the water part. And then the salt precipitates or crashes out and is on the floor of the ponds. And through this system or series of evaporation ponds, the salts precipitate out one by one. So it doesn't just all come out together, depending on what type of salt species it is. Like sodium chloride precipitates out first, and then they move all of the remaining brine to the next pond, and potassium chloride evaporates or precipitates out. And then they move it all to the next pond and magnesium precipitates out. And finally, at the very end, they get to lithium. And that's the other way and seemingly a much more efficient way to extract lithium or, or produce and manufacture lithium. But those are, those are the two ways that lithium is produced today. So does your technology actually increase the amount that is extracted or does it lower the cost of extraction? Both. Yeah, both. So, so I, so I just explained the two ways that lithium is produced. Yeah, and we solely focus on the brine evaporation. So, through this brine evaporation process, they have a series of evaporation ponds, and these ponds are absolutely massive. Like the the ones that are down in South America, where they produce the majority of the world's lithium, are fifteen square miles, which is the size of entire city of Manhattan one pond system. And it takes 18 months to go through this pond system. And they only recover 30% of the available lithium that is pumped out from the subsurface reservoir and put into the first ponds. So it's wildly inefficient. As I started to study this, I started to learn where these inefficiencies were. And the reason that it's so inefficient is because Although these salts precipitate out one by one, it's not an exact science. The lithium has a tendency to co-precipitate with other salts, right? So instead of it just being like a pure lithium left at the end, you'll lose all this lithium along the way. And there's one point where lithium has an affinity to co-precipitate with magnesium magnesium is the salt that it likes to crash out with the most. And you can't have impure lithium in the battery. It needs to be 99.9% pure lithium or else the battery doesn't work, right? So when all this lithium is crashing out with magnesium, that's a big problem. And we said, what if we can implement like a filtration system similar to like reverse osmosis, where they separate all salts and make fresh water out of seawater. I mean, pretty much everybody has some sort of membrane filtration system underneath their sink at home. 
to purify their water or make, you know, eliminate contaminants like in your faucet or in your shower, like in your water system. So we applied a similar kind of theory to this, but our membranes, they let lithium pass through while rejecting all of the other unwanted impurities like magnesium and calcium and sodium, et cetera. Got it. So you own and control a number of patents for this technology. How are you you know, standing out in front of competitors? Are there other people doing this currently in market or are you the first? So the first part of your question, patents are a huge part of our strategy. Initially, we licensed four patents from the University of Texas on a worldwide exclusive basis in perpetuity of the IP. And that's what really gave us our start. Since then, the company has filed an additional 19 patents, and we're up to 23 patents. Mm-hmm. We have extensive plans to file over 100 more patents within the next year. And our goal is to have hundreds of patents. We're, we're really an energy technology company that largely bases our business model around our intellectual property. We're, we're looking to create a patent moat around our approach to direct lithium extraction. The second part of your question, are there competitors? Yeah, of course. I mean, you know, we're not the only ones to think about this, this problem and try to create a solution for it. Battery materials are a huge focus around the world and creating efficiencies around the production of battery materials and, and really specifically lithium and direct lithium extraction is a super hot topic. So there are a number of competitors. I think that there will be a few winners and a few of the best technologies will rise to the top. Some companies will consolidate. Some companies will go out of business because their approach is less economic than, than some others. So we really look at all angles. You know, We have very sophisticated economic modeling for how our technology can be implemented with producers. And this whole kind of sector of direct lithium extraction is entering kind of into the pilot phase. So it's a problem that was identified maybe like four or five years ago, or maybe five or six years ago by some of the early adopters. We started our company in 2018, so three years ago. And now we're just starting to kind of enter into piloting where we're putting large pieces of equipment down in the field. And we hope to be in commercialization by end of 2022, early 2023. Yeah, that actually brings me on to my next question. So You've received what, about 20 million so far in funding? Yep. So we just raised 20 million earlier this year. Okay. And so you're in pilot plant build phase at the moment. Where is that plant going to be rolled out? We have three pilot plants that have been built. And we've announced our first partner for the pilot plant, which is a company called Oracobre. Oracobre was a top 10 lithium producer in the world. And they recently, actually just last month, merged with another top 10 lithium company called Galaxy to create what is the third or fourth largest lithium company in the world. So we're deploying our first pilot plant with them. And then we have two other pilot plants. We have agreements with other companies that have not been announced yet. But we're, we're essentially working with every single tier one lithium producer in some form of agreement or another in terms of like brine testing. So these companies send us their real world brine that that comes from their solars or their their ponds to test on our systems in our laboratories before we 
custom fit a membrane that's specific to the chemical composition of their brine. And then we test that in our pilots in our laboratory in, in the U.S. before we ship the pilots out to the field. Got it. And you've also done a deal with Suez, I saw in your presentation, the global water and resource recovery company. What are you doing with them exactly? So this kind of ties into our business model that I was explaining earlier. We are an energy technology company, right? Where we have developed this technology and created a lot of IP around it and and invented it. But when it comes to scaling towards commercialization and having to build like a facility, we wanted to partner with the best company in the world at doing that. And Suez, you know, is a worldwide water technology conglomerate. They have 80,000 employees. They do 20 billion a year in revenue. And they have hundreds of years of, of experience in building membranes and all the ancillary equipment that goes into the balance of plant, right? So we've developed this membrane technology, but it still needs to fit into a stack. There's valves and pipes and casing and drivers. There's control systems. All of that stuff, Suez does, right? So we've created a partnership with Suez around all those ancillary elements that will go into actually making the technology and our membranes work. And you've also partnered with Dr. John Goodenough, is that correct? The Nobel Prize winner? Yeah, so John's a great guy. Up to this point, I've just basically told you about our direct lithium extraction initiative, which makes up about 90% of our business. However, we realized that these membranes that we were making were, were highly efficient at separating and transporting lithium through them. And that is essentially what occurs inside a battery. You have lithium that is transporting from an anode to a cathode and then back on charge and discharge, right? The lithium is basically going through and the electron is being used. And then the electron is being resubmitted when a battery is charged with the lithium. So the lithium goes back and forth and it has to go through a separator, something that is separating the anode from the cathode or else if the anode touches the cathode you have thermal runaway and that's what causes batteries to set on fire and explode so the next generation of batteries is what's called a solid state battery so currently in batteries there's a liquid separator a liquid electrolyte that separates the anode from the cathode if you can make that piece of the battery a solid electrolyte thereby creating a solid state battery, you can, in theory, put a lot more lithium into the battery, which in turn increases the energy density. So energy density is the equation that measures how much energy a battery can store by how much the battery weighs or the volume of the battery, right? So when you're thinking about a phone, there's a constraint on the size of the battery or or an electric vehicle there's a constraint on the weight of the battery and the idea is to have as much energy density in a battery as possible so we saw an opportunity to implement our technology our membranes in solid state battery architecture and we partnered with dr john goodenough on that and you know he won the nobel prize for inventing the lithium-ion battery 
So that was a really exciting partnership for us. Phenomenal. I guess I'm no expert in, in battery minerals. However, I obviously have seen quite a few other founders involved in cobalt, for example, and mining manganese. Are you looking at using your technology to extract these other minerals or are you looking to just really focus on lithium for now? So theoretically, we can. Our technology is at the core a separations technology. So we can separate different materials from one another in aqueous solutions. And a lot of people have asked us about that looking forward down the roadmap. But right now, lithium, we believe, is the most important material. And it's what we have focused on and tailored our membranes to the most. So we need to commercialize that and start producing lithium before we focus on anything else. Got it. Got it. So I've seen here on your website, you've started a crowdfunding initiative. So anyone can essentially become a shareholder in the business. Do you want to talk to our listeners about that opportunity? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, like I said earlier, we just raised 20 million of capital. And actually a part of that was crowdfunded, about a million and a half. And I really like crowdfunding because I want this opportunity to be available to the everyday man or woman, right? I think that we have, as a society, there's been a system that's developed where the rich get richer and only the VCs or the private equity or you know the wealthy individual can invest in a promising startup and you know that's that's unfair to the person that wants to invest a thousand dollars or even five hundred dollars in what they think could be a, a really smart investment and I mean you see it now with, with cryptocurrency right and and now the kind of access with stock trading apps like Robinhood, et cetera. And there's obviously you know, stories where people lose money. That's the nature of the market. But there, there's so much more access and so much more availability to investing. And investing is really how you create long-term wealth. So crowdfunding is a perfect example of decentralizing the access from what was originally just the VC that would have to write a $5 million check. Like there was no platform that would allow somebody to invest $500 or $1,000 into EnergyX. And, and I really like that. You know, we now have over 2,000 investors in EnergyX and the crowdfunding portion of that. We did 1.5 in our first crowdfunding raise and we're almost at a million in our second, which is live right now. You can just go on energyx.com and there's an invest button and it'll lead you through the steps to investing. Minimum investment of only $104. Yeah, minimum investment is only $104. And we have over 2,000 investors who have invested $2.5 million into EnergyX through this, this mechanism. And of course, you know we've supplemented that with about $15 million of additional institutional capital. And then personally, as the founder and CEO, I've invested a million of my own money. So I think that that kind of mix of different investors is a really good thing for not only the company, but also the investor that has the opportunity to you know, get in early on a company that has a lot of promise. You know, There's a lot of upside 
when a company like Airbnb or Uber goes public at a $50 billion valuation, like there's not much upside from that, right? Like, yeah, you can invest and it can go up like a couple percent and kind of hover. And, but with us, you're investing at, you know, a hundred or right now to 300 million valuation with the potential to go up to tens of billions of dollars of market cap. Like, you know, that's attractive. Absolutely. So how much are you still looking to close in this round? So for the crowdfunding, there's still limits on the amount that companies can raise. Our limit right now is $4 million, So we're almost at a million of that. So we have an additional $3 million of allocation from the general public. And then simultaneous to that, we're raising an additional $100 million from institutional capital in our Series B. And that'll happen over the summer or early fall. Got it. So I actually met you quite a few years ago now through the Formula E crowd. And back then you were working on a graphene startup. I guess just in closing, I thought it might be interesting for you to maybe talk about your journey to, you know, through this founders step-by-step process that you've been, you know, walking through this journey, it it might be interesting for you to give us a little bit of a background in terms of how you got to where you are today and maybe what were the biggest highlights of that journey? So, so yeah, so we met at Formula E, which was way ahead of its time. You know, I think that Alejandro, you know, had a vision and he's a visionary and now he started Extreme E and is really bringing, you know, this was, this was what, what, I think like 2013 or 14. Yeah. Alejandro is interviewing with us just after you. <laughs> Randomly. Oh, amazing. Tell him I say hi. Tell him I say hi. So Formula E in 2013 or 14, I can't remember the exact year, it was way ahead of the curve. Like that was before, you know, Tesla had obviously started, but it put electric cars and electric racing kind of on the global map, I think, in a way. And my prior company was like an athletic apparel company that had a graphene technology implemented into it. And we were the official apparel of the Formula E. So we met at the first race in Beijing. And, you know, this was, it it kind of piqued my interest in a way about the future of electric mobility. You know, that, that company, it was called First Round Athletics. It really has no tie to EnergyX. So I started Energy X actually based off a trip to Bolivia, um, just just purely as a tourist, and found myself down in what is the largest lithium reserve in the world, in the middle of the high desert salt flats of Bolivia. But you know, I think that from Formula E, like I obviously made a lot of network and connections. Yourself as a perfect example of people that are not only forward thinkers, but really care about sustainability and and climate change, uh, environmental impact. And those connections are lending themselves today to, you know, pushing Energy X forward. Yeah. So certainly was tremendously blessed in that aspect. Well, Teague, it looks like you are doing phenomenally well with this new business. And I am super grateful for your time today. We are going to keep our eye on this investment opportunity and also help to promote this 
as much as possible to our network because we do believe that it is a great investment opportunity and we wish you all the best. Looking forward to catching up in person. So thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, Cassandra. Talk soon. Pleasure. Take care. Bye. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook and visit our website to tune in to many more founder and investor stories. Head there to back your favorite ventures which are changing the world with their business models to make a difference. Listeners are encouraged to vote and invest now.